Well, if you've been with us for a few weeks, you know where we're at, Romans chapter 8. I invite you to open God's Word to Romans chapter 8 as we continue to examine this beautiful passage, a passage that has deep doctrine, that has profound truth for us. And we're in a a third part today of a series, four-part series, on Romans 8, 29 through 30. I've entitled today's message, The Golden Chain of Salvation, Part 3, Justification. Justification. I, I just want to go back and read chapter, uh, chapter 8, 28 through 30. So you, you see the 29 and 30 as the foundation for verse 28. We know that God causes all things, all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. This golden chain is to reassure us of God's saving work. All of these things are done by God. These things are are God's work for those whom he foreknew. Once a person is foreknown by God, they will be glorified. And every link in the chain will be accomplished in their life. This is the reason that we can know God does all things for good. He does all things for good for those who love him. How do we know that? Because no one's dropping out of the chain. That's the main reason Paul put it here, was for our comfort. For our comfort. To to say that these five massive pillars are the support for that promise in Romans 8.28. A promise that we often love as Christians. And we should. That no matter what happens in our life, God is doing something good there. That God is doing something for us there. And yet the reason and how he's doing it, that well, that's what comes about in 29 through 30. Previously, we've already looked at three links in this chain. We looked at foreknew, those whom God foreknew. That God decided on whom he would set his love before the creation of the universe. It was his decision. It was his sovereign free will to do so. It was by God's grace alone that he chose whom he would know in a loving, saving way. Not that he looked ahead to see what might happen and then made a decision. It's so out there in our culture that, we're, that God looks ahead and that he somehow learns something. No, no. God decided. He foreloved someone. He foreloved someone and a group called the elect. Sola gratia is that doctrine. Well, then he predestined that same group. That God has marked them out. That he's determined their destiny. Of course he would. He's loved them so much that he is making sure. He is making sure that they will indeed go all the way through to glory. He set the destiny of those whom he's foreloved. There's nothing that can change what God has decided to do. I mean, thank God for that. Wouldn't you hate to know that God foreloved you, but somehow something got in the way and you didn't make it to being saved. And also last week we looked at called, that divine summons of God the Father and the regenerating work of God by the Holy Spirit upon a person's heart where where man's mind is enlightened, that he can now understand the gospel, that he can now believe, and that he can now trust 
and have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's for new, predestined, and called. Today we look at this fourth pillar. This fourth pillar in the golden chain, justified. Those whom he called, he also justified. The same group, the same group that he foreknew, the same group that that he had a loving relationship with and determined that he would do so, that same group is going to be justified. No one gets added down the chain. No one gets subtracted down the chain. This is a, a major doctrine in the Christian faith, justification. It's what the Reformation was really about. The Reformation was about many things, worship, how, how we can read our Bibles and study the Bible and interpret the Bible. But the main doctrine that started it all was justification. And it, it's always been an issue in Christianity. It's always been an issue in any religion. How can a man be right before their creator? That's the question. That's the question Job asked. How can a man be right before God? That's a real issue. Jesus Jesus said that there's none righteous, but everyone has to be perfect like their Father in heaven is perfect. Paul said not even one person is righteous for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How can anyone be saved? How can anyone be saved if we have to be perfect to be saved? That's the question of justification. How can a man be justified? How can a man be declared right before God? It's the biggest question that the world has ever faced. So we seek that answer in this word, in this doctrine, justification. And, and Paul's already taught on it in Romans. We'll look at it. But he's put it in this chain because people know as a Christian we've been justified. But they're worried. They, they think that something might separate them from eternal glory with God. So he goes back all the way into eternity past and says, you've been foreknown. You, you have been predestined. God called you when you were saved. You've been justified and you will be glorified. Well, this word justification, it, it teaches us what God has done for believers in Christ. It teaches us what God has done. It teaches us that he immediately, immediately at the moment of faith, he declared that sinners, those sinners who believe in Christ, are forgiven. And they get Christ's righteousness applied to them. That's a wonderful transaction that occurs. It's a legal transaction, not according to our law, but according to God's law. That he took the sins from our account and put Christ's righteousness on it. And it's all him. It's all of God. He has declared sinners righteous whenever he justifies someone. The word of God teaches us that that it is instantaneous, that it happens at the very moment a person comes to saving faith. And there's nothing that we can do to earn that. That was the thing that blew up in the Reformation. In fact, Martin Luther said, this doctrine of justification is the article which the church stands or falls. You want to know if you're a true church? First of all, does your church teach the biblical truth of justification by faith alone and Christ alone? That's the number one thing the Reformers said. John Calvin, another Reformer, said, it's the main hinge the main hinge on which religion turns. Like a hinge on a doorway. That door won't swing unless it's on a very strong hinge. And justification is that hinge in the Christian faith. J.I. Packer, many of you know we have some of his books over here. J.I. Packer is a 
a reformed writer. And he said this doctrine's like Atlas, who the Greeks thought upheld the world. That this doctrine of justification by faith, it bears a whole world on its shoulders. The entire evangelical knowledge of God the Savior, the doctrines of election, effectual calling, regeneration, repentance, adoption, prayer, the church, the ministry, the ordinances, all are to be interpreted and understood in the light of this doctrine, justification. And he goes on to say, for this is how the Bible views these things. When justification falls, true knowledge of God's grace in human life falls with it. When Atlas loses his footing, everything that rested on his shoulders collapses too. How does the church veer off? How does a, how does a, a true teaching biblical church eventually veer off and become what we call liberal Christianity? Because they water down the gospel. They water down justification. They make an error in what they teach. They start to cross out words like wrath of God in their hymnals. And they ask permission to no longer print that word in their hymnals. Whole denominations do that. So we want to consider today what is the true biblical teaching on justification. Because Paul puts it in this chain and he expects us to know what it means. He expects, if we don't know, to study it. So today I want to show you three aspects of justification. Three aspects of justification. First of all, justification is, it is by grace alone. I've already hinted at that. We've already seen Paul driving towards that with foreknew, with predestination, with divine calling. Justifications by grace alone. This is what the reformers said in Latin was sola gratia, by grace alone. They come up with five solas and, and, and one of them is sola gratia. It's the five solas they would stand upon. And they said that justification is not by our own merits, but by grace alone. It's only by God's grace. And it's only for his glory. We could even add that sola in. Sola Deo Gloria. And it cannot be earned. That's what I mean by grace alone. That's what the Bible means by grace alone. Let's see this in Romans. Paul's already developed it throughout the chapters and verses in Romans. But let's go back to Romans chapter 3. You know, Romans, the book, is the, is the closest thing we get to a systematic theology in the Bible. You know, MacArthur's systematic theology is over in the bookstore, and I, I love that book. But you have to work throughout Scripture and put things together. But in Romans, Paul comes close to giving us a theological book. Of course, it's an epistle. It's a letter to the church in Rome. But he puts so many doctrines in there. and shows us how they come about and the order of them that it's very similar to what we call a theology textbook. Romans 3, starting in verse 21. He's going to teach us about justification. He's already spent chapters 1 and 2 and the beginning of 3 talking about how they're none righteous. Whether, whether Jew or Gentile, no one's righteous. Everyone's a sinner. And everyone needs God's grace. And he says in 3.21, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God here is Jesus. He's come, he's been manifested, and, and it was witnessed that by the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, that a, a Messiah would come. He goes on, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there's no distinction. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace. Through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. In other words, God put forth Jesus Christ, his son, as a sacrifice for God's wrath. That's what propitiation is. That when Christ died on the cross, he was fulfilling the wrath of God against those who would be saved. He's the blood offering. He's the sacrifice. A propitiation in his blood through faith. What was the purpose? This was, Paul says, to demonstrate his righteousness. God can't be righteous if he just says, you know what? You're a sinner, but I'm just going to forget about it and walk away. How does that make a righteous God? You know, if, if you went before the judge and you beg the judge to send somebody to death row or, or maybe the rest of their life in prison because they had murdered your whole family. And the judge said, you know what? We don't consider that to be a big deal. What would happen to that judge? Hopefully he would be taken out of office quickly. You certainly would not be happy. But somehow when it comes to God, we expect that he will just forget everyone's sin and walk away as if nothing mattered to God. No, it says right here that he had to demonstrate his righteousness by sending Christ to die. It says because in the, in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. He let humanity continue on. He did not wipe out the earth because Adam sinned. There will come a time for the judgment of those sins, but he lets humanity continue. Why? For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time. Because Christ was coming. Mankind had still been existing upon the earth generation after generation, continuing to sin against God with a few believers why? So that Christ would come, because that was all in the plan of God, so that Christ would come and die on the cross, be raised again, and bring about salvation. But you see this last verse there in 26, Romans 3, 26, so that he would be just. God's got to be just. He's still condemning sinners, but he's also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He's just because he will judge people according to their sins. But he's also the justifier who forgives people who are in Christ because of Christ's work. God is both a righteous judge and the one who justifies sinners. He's both. He can choose to judge people for their sins or he can choose to give them grace and save them because he's sovereign, because he's God, because he created mankind. Paul goes on here in verse 27, where then is boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Skip now to Romans 4, 5. So just working up through Romans here to our passage. Romans 4, 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, him who justifies the ungodly. That's God the Father. He's justifying sinners. How does that happen? Through faith. It's credited as righteousness. But God's the one doing it. Now go up to Romans 8 again. Go to verse 33. You know, people say that it's not just God doing the justifying. 
They say that man also does a work here to justify. But Paul makes it so clear in Romans 8.33. Romans 8.33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. It's very clear. It's very simple. God's the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? No one can condemn if God's already justified them. It doesn't matter, Paul says, if Satan tries to condemn you if you've been justified. It doesn't matter if a king tries to condemn you if you've been justified. It doesn't matter if other people condemn you. God's already justified you. Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. So the Father justified you and Christ is there interceding for you. Don't worry about anything else. No one's going to Take your salvation away. In this act of justification, God is considering our sins forgiven and then he's putting Christ's righteousness on us. That only applies to believers. But it is a great exchange. It's a great transaction that happens. In other religions, all other religions, especially what's known as Roman Catholic religion, they hold a different view of salvation. It's called synergism, where man cooperates with God for his grace. That yes, God is graceful, but man's got to add something to it. It's a teamwork. It's a partnership. We're going into partnership with God, in their view, and, and we could even say other religions. That we've got to obey to earn something. They would say how you're really justified is your effort in the sacraments combined with God's grace. And you've got to do that throughout your life, and you might be justified when you die. If you did everything right, and God's grace is added with your works. You might be justified. But most people won't, so they've got to spend some time in purgatory. That's synergism, that we're working with God to accomplish justification. And, and in doing that, they've denied that man is totally sinful and depraved, that man is completely sinful in his mind, and that we're dead in our trespasses, like the Bible says. And, and rather, they think we're just sick. We're just sick in that, we can do some good works and have God come along and add to it. But it's by grace alone. It's by grace alone. Do you know that most Americans, though, think that we take the initial step in salvation? They were asked by Ligonier. Ligonier runs these studies every few years, and it's interesting what they, what they show. 83% of American Christians, evangelicals, that's Protestants, 83%. Believe that man takes the first step towards God and only then does God respond with grace. He's not talking about faith. They didn't ask about faith in the survey. They said, who brings about your salvation, in other words? Does man take the first step and then God adds to that? Or is it the other way around? 83% said man takes the first step. Then God responds with grace. That's exactly the statement they ask. Turn over to Titus chapter 3. We do these doctrinal studies here we've got to look at quite a few verses and i think romans does a lot for us titus 3 uh, shows us quite a bit of truth again paul's writing here to titus it's near the end of his letters in the bible and he's reminding titus of salvation and what brings it about titus 3 3 for we also once were foolish ourselves all, all believers today were not born believers we were once foolish ourselves, he says, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. All of us were once 
following the desires of our flesh. The person today who's not following Christ is following the desires of their flesh. But, verse 4, But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. He's not saying He saved all mankind, but Paul's saying uh, He saved us, those who believe in Christ. Not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness. It has nothing to do with anything we've done, but according to His mercy. It's His mercy. By the washing of regeneration, by renewing, by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. And then verse 7. So that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God is the one who justifies. And it's by His grace that it comes about. It's not any merit. This verse said, had nothing to do with your good deeds and done in righteousness. And Paul's already said in Romans, those good deeds weren't really done in righteousness because no one does them as an unbeliever for righteousness' sake. Remember Ephesians 2? We looked at that last week. After telling us that, that we're dead in our sins and our trespasses, Paul says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you have been saved. I mean, that, that's where we're starting our discussion here of justification. Because it's got to be by God's grace. The Bible says clearly, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Certainly, grace can't be of ourselves. Salvation, Paul says, is not of yourselves. This whole line here. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, the whole thing, is not of yourselves. Even your faith is not of yourselves. It's God's grace. One more verse. 1 Corinthians 1.30 You are not saved by your own wisdom, Paul says, but by His doing you are in Christ Jesus. His doing. A person cannot put themselves into Christ. Just like we discussed last week with, with calling. You cannot remove the devil's scales from your eyes. God's got to do it. You cannot turn your heart from stone to being alive to God. God's got to do it. Well, God's got to justify. He's the only one who can justify because he's the judge. And he will be just and the justifier. There's nothing in us. We can do nothing that moves God to forgive us. It's according to the riches of his grace. It's only by God's grace. His glory cannot be earned by us. Secondly, though, justification is through faith alone. Prepositions matter in the Bible. That's why good translations matter, by the way. Do you see the difference in preposition? Justification is by grace. Justification is through faith. By, through. These prepositions matter. This doctrine is called sola fide in Latin. It was another one of the solas of the Reformation. Once you get the idea of justification down, and it's by God's grace alone. We need to ask what our part in that even is. We can't bring about justification, but the Bible says to have faith. And, and faith is something that we do. So how is justification an act of God? If faith is something we do, how is justification fully an act of God? Well, believer, your, your faith is the instrument by which God brought about your justification. Why pray if God's already decided what he's going to do? 
Why do you ask God to change something in your life or to save somebody else if we know he's already ordained all things to happen? Because God uses prayer as the means by which he accomplishes things. And God grants us faith in Christ so that he can bring about justification in his elect. If your faith was your work, if it was something you could put justification on and say, look, it rests upon my faith, then you could really boast about something. I'm justified because of my faith. Yeah, but be careful when you say that. I mean, are you, are you, are you realizing that God even granted you the faith and that's not of yourselves? Or are you saying, I did something really great? You know, my cousin, you know, he, he's bound for hell and doesn't want to believe in Christ. But me, man, I was a great guy. I believed. I was a smart guy. I was wise, according to the world. I figured this thing out, and I had faith. Not what the Bible teaches. It's through faith that we are justified. But justification is not our act. It's all of God so that no man can boast. Yet, we must not think that faith plays no part. We must not think because God has elected and predestined that we are to just sit back and wait as an unbeliever. You shouldn't be hearing right now that, that you're just going to sit back and see what God does. No, the Bible calls people to have faith. These things go together. God's working these things together. This is not two separate contradicting theories here. These are two things Jesus puts together. The two things the apostles put together. The Old Testament puts together. It is through faith that a person is justified. And, and in English, we don't see all this. Sometimes we just see the word by. It's justification by faith. But the idea there in the original language is it's through faith. Let's go back to Romans 4, Romans chapter 4. And I want to show you how Paul's already built this up before Romans 8. He's already taught them what God is doing through their faith. And again, he doesn't say you had faith and God's going to reward you with justification. He's not saying that. Again, that would be something that would be our work. Romans 4, 4 and 5. Chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. I want to show you these things in the Bible so you don't just take my word for it, but you learn how to look unto Scripture and find it yourself. Romans 4, starting in verse 4. Now the, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. So, so if you work and try to earn things, and try to earn God's favor, then you get paid for that. But it's not a favor. If a person comes to your house and works for you, you're not doing them a favor when you give them money. You owe them money for their work, right? You owe them money for their work. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. It's credited as righteousness. It's through faith that this comes about, in other words. And it's not because you've worked to do something mighty. Even your, your act of faith is not your own work because works are dismissed here. You see, but if faith is a gift of God, then it's separate from works. It's separate from works. Justification is through faith alone. Romans 5, Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We exalt in hope of the glory of God. So it's, it's through faith that this comes about. It's the channel of faith that this all comes about. Go forward to Romans eleven six. But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. 
So combining this idea of by grace alone through faith alone, even faith you cannot claim as a work because it's no longer grace if that's the case. And I'll just give you one more from Galatians 2. Galatians 2.16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but through faith. See, there are our translations capture it, the process. It's through faith in Christ Jesus. It tells you where we're going next. But it's through faith in Christ Jesus. Even when we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. It's by the works of the law. No flesh will be justified. So it's through faith. What is faith? What is faith? Faith is something that you are doing. It's granted to you by God, but it's something that you are doing. It's complete trust in God's Son. Complete trust in God's Son that, that He will fully carry us through. That He will give us eternal life and save us from the wrath of God to come. Think about the thief on the cross. Remember when I recently preached on that from Luke? The thief on the cross is right beside Jesus. He's dying. He has no opportunity to do any works. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Now, there's so much packed into that phrase. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But one thing we know is this is an expression of faith. The other thief didn't have that. The other thief on the cross didn't have that. And what did Jesus say to this man? Truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Today. You don't need to get down from the cross and work these things out and, and figure out how to be saved. You don't need to obey the law. You don't need to do good deeds the rest of your life and wait to see if you're going to be saved. Today, you're going to die. You'll be with me in paradise. Clear theology. Clear truth. Justification is only brought by faith alone in Christ. It's by faith alone in Christ. It's, it's not through our good works. The Bible says those are bloody, filthy rags. I've repeated that many times, but it's not through good works. But so many religions believe that it is. And Isaiah says that's a bloody, filthy, menstrual rag to be thrown away. That's what your good works are before God if you're trying to get into heaven based on your good work. It's not by taking of the sacraments. Most of the Roman Catholic sacraments aren't even in the Bible to begin with. And the couple that are close to what we do with the Lord's Supper and baptism aren't done for the right reasons. They're done to earn God's grace and to earn salvation. It's not taking the sacraments. It's not your family ties. You're not going to stand before God and he's going to say, were your parents Christians? Come on in. Was your, was your spouse a Christian who made you come to church with them? Come on in. No, it's not by that. Not through that at all. It's not based on anything you've done in the past. Not your baptism even. Maybe you've been dunked in the water. Brought back out. But you're not following Christ. You don't believe he's truly going to save you from your sin. You don't believe that he was fully God maybe. That baptism was nothing. It wasn't even baptism really. It was just dunking in the water. Walking an aisle doesn't save you. Other experiences that you had as a teenager in college doesn't save you. What is Paul saying? It's by God's grace it's through faith. You must have faith. You must have faith. It's an astonishing doctrine that justification, and it's, it's astonishing, but we think that God justifies godless sinners that we are. And yet, his words reveal that he does this through faith, our faith. Our faith. We must have faith in Christ. 
And then thirdly, justification is by grace, yes, through faith, yes, but it's faith in Christ alone, in Christ alone. Another, a sola, solus Christus. We sing about this often in our hymns. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. We don't stand on anything we've done or decided or thought. We stand on Christ the solid rock. Everything else just is going to sink away, sinking sand. Christ alone is the object of our faith. A lot of people talk about faith, but they're not talking about faith in Christ. Faith in the person and work of Christ. He's the only Savior and Lord. You can say you have faith in God, but we're talking about faith in Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord. Lots of people say they have faith in God or faith in a universal power. No, it's faith in a specific object, and that object is Christ our Lord. When a person's united with Him through faith, when they're put into this union with Christ, the first benefit they receive is justification. There are many benefits to being united with Christ through faith, but one of the things is justification. Really, the first big one is justification. See, when when God brings you by his grace through your faith and puts you into Christ, it's at that moment. And it all happens instantaneously in our time, but it's at that moment that you're justified. Christ, the object of our faith, he's, he's the only one the only Savior of the world. It's, it's faith in Him that is the only way to be saved. The Bible teaches that Christ is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. There, there's an exclusivity to the Christian faith because it's only through Christ. You can't think Christ was a good teacher and get there. You can't come through Buddha. You can't come through Muhammad. You can't come through any man-made religious works. It's only through Christ. It's only being put into Christ if you want to be specific. Put into Christ. The gospel demands that we trust only in Christ alone for salvation. Uh, Martin Luther again, he says, I must listen to the gospel. It tells me not what I must do, but what Christ Jesus, the Son of God, has done for me. Oh, that's profound. We often think about what we must do. The gospel is a message about what Christ has done. The doing part is our response to that message. But the gospel is that Christ has come and he's died on the cross for sinners. And if you do respond correctly, you get that death applied to you. Forgiveness of sins, his righteousness comes upon you. It's what Christ has done for me. Not what I must do. It's not about works. It's about faith in Christ alone. Well, the best passage to look at here is 2 Corinthians 5.21. You should turn there and have a look. 2 Corinthians, we just read it in our scripture reading. It's my favorite, favorite passage in the Bible. It shows here what God is, is doing, how he's bringing this about. It's, it's by his grace, it's through faith. But what's he doing when he puts us into Christ? The 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's the heart of the gospel. We can drill all the way down to this point and see the transaction that's happening. How does God do it? 
Now you're here in the passage if you're a believer, our behalf, so that we, but this is God doing it in Christ. You see at the end of the verse, it's only in him. It's only in Christ. You get put into Christ, and the first benefit is justification. The heart of the gospel here in 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's telling us how sinners can be reconciled to God through Christ. How does God bring it about? Through what this verse says. Only 15 words in Greek, originally written, but so much packed in, so much packed in. I, we don't have time to unwrap the, the full implications of it, but you can see the, the two points of the verse. You see the two points there? This Mount Everest of the gospel here? We must be justified by God's process in these two things. First, what does he say? He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Christ knew no sin. He lived a perfect life. Not only was he the son of God, uh, fully divine, but he was fully man too. And he lived in his 30 plus years a perfect life. He obeyed every command of God. He always did the will of the Father. Even when he was tempted, even when he was tempted, he obeyed God's will. He obeyed perfectly. Perfectly. He knew no sin, and yet God put sin on him on our behalf. He did not commit sin, but he took on the sin. There's not even a verb there in the, in the Greek. Our translations, if you have the NASB, puts it in italics, to be. But it's not like he became sin. He, he took on sin. And that's how he is doing it. That's how he is taking away the sin on our behalf. For those who believe in him, when they're put in him, sin, guilt, wiped away. As far as the east is from the west, gone. Gone. Not because of anything you've done, because he was righteous. Because he knew no sin. And the second part of the verse is what happens after that. After the sin's been wiped away, this is all instantaneous, of course, but in, in God's order, First, the sin is wiped away so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We still, we still need righteousness. You're just back to zero. When, when you have a million dollar debt and someone comes and cleans that debt away, you're just back to zero. That's great, but it's not going to get you to spend eternity with God. It's not going to get you to spend eternity with God. Only righteous people can be there. You get back to zero and what's going to happen? You're going to go into debt again with sin guilt. And you continue to sin. Forgiveness is great. It is wonderful. But we also get Christ's righteousness. Perfect righteousness. The righteousness of Christ, the only person who lived that perfect life. That's what justification is. It's being declared righteous. Because your sins are gone. They're on Christ. And Christ's righteousness is on us. It's a great exchange. It's a double transaction. They call it double imputation. He took your sins put them on Christ's account. He took Christ's righteousness and put it on your account. That's the heart of justification. It happens in Christ, though. It happens in Christ. We can't contribute to that. That's a transaction God is doing. We're just poor beggars. Again, poor beggars. Thankful. Thankful that God can do this, that God is doing this. Justification is is pardoning all of our guilt. And it's, and it's giving it on Christ's account and we're receiving his righteousness. In an instant. That's the heart of the gospel. We've got to love that doctrine. All three of these points we've got to love. 
We're Reformed Protestant Christians. Evangelical. We believe in the gospel. We proclaim the gospel. This is a gospel that saves. It's a gospel that saves. You add anything of your own to that? It doesn't save. It doesn't save. There's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It's only in Christ. It's only in Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, then you ought to respond with thanking God and praising God every day. That, that you are part of the foreknown and part of the predestined and part of the call. And that you're now currently part of the justified and you will be part of the glorified, which we'll look at next week. But friends, if you're here today and you're still resisting the Lord, why? Look at the beauty of this truth. Why? Why resist God? It makes no sense. Some people say, oh, I've never sinned. I've never sinned. Of course, that's a sin in and of itself to say it, but have you always glorified God in everything you've done? The Bible says you, you must glorify God in all things, in all thoughts. That's perfection. In all attitudes, in all deeds. Friend, have you, have you glorified God in everything that he tells you to do here in Scripture? Then you've sinned. We've all sinned. Believers continue to sin. The difference is they've already been justified. So when they sin, they repent and they're cleansed. A continual cleansing of the feet, but not a, a cleansing of the heart. That's done once at justification. Unbelievers, you often think that you can do something to earn God's favor. You often think you can do something to earn God's favor. But it's not possible. I mean, we've all broken God's law. That's why he gets at it in Romans 3. There's none righteous. There's none righteous. To be righteous in God's sight, you've got to come to Christ. You've got to recognize your need. You've got to beg for mercy. I remember thinking as an unbeliever, I can't be forced by God to trust in Christ. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to live a good life. I believe in God, Jesus. Yeah, he lived. The Bible's true, but I'm not doing anything God says. But I could argue with atheists all day long like I was a Christian. I hadn't been justified. I was trying to earn my way with through good works, be moral, be good. And then one day I realized what Christ had done on the cross. And then I realized he had been raised again on the third day. And suddenly I just broke down and realized he's my savior. He's my savior. I cannot continue to work for it my own. He's my savior. And then that day God cleansed me. He justified me. He'll cleanse you from your sins if, if you'll trust in him. If you'll trust in the only one who can save. In Christ alone. Don't say... 99% in Christ, and I'll be good, and then I'll get there. Alone means nothing else. Nothing else. One day you'll get to be in heaven eternally. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you after today's service. I mean, don't leave here wondering what's going to happen to me. You're going to lose sleep over it. You should lose sleep over it. Know the truth. Know what this passage in Romans 8 is telling us. That if God has set his love upon you, you will be justified. But you don't know if God set his love upon you until you know you've been justified. So we can't see into the mind of God. Who's God elected? Don't know. They don't have an E on the back of their head. We don't know. Who's God justified? Those who trust in Christ alone for salvation. We do know based on a person's faith, based on a person's good deeds. I mean, others can have a good idea, but you, you can have assurance. You can have assurance. 
So I'm going to ask God now to grant unbelievers faith that are with us today and that God would help us as believers to praise him all the more because of this truth. God, you are the one who justifies. It's all of you. It's by your grace. It's by your mercy. It's it's through the faith that you grant us and it's in your son, Jesus Christ. As followers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, let us praise you. Let us give you the glory. Let us fall upon the ground and humble ourselves and admit we've done nothing. We've done nothing to deserve this kind of goodness. But yet you've poured it out on so many sinners. Not everyone will be saved. But more than we could ever imagine. None of us deserve it. And yet you've given it. Lord, I pray today that for those here today who haven't trusted in Christ, who haven't come to Christ alone for salvation, that you would break through that stony ground. That you would churn up their heart. Give them a heart of flesh. Take out the heart of stone. Give them a heart of flesh as we know you do so that they might believe. We pray for the children here who have not yet believed. That in addition to their parents proclaiming this truth and me proclaiming this truth and their class this morning proclaiming this truth and all the times they've heard of Christ and the gospel and the good news, that they would put their trust in him. Pray for the adulterer today. Lord, you're saving people all the time. I just spoke with someone this morning who was saved a few months ago. We know it can be done. No matter the sin, no matter the sin, no matter how long the list is, you sent Christ into the world to save sinners. And if they would just believe that message, if they would just believe that he truly came and died on the cross, and that they would trust in him, Lord, they would be saved. Because you would justify them. You would justify them. So we pray that you would do that mighty work today. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for giving us Christ. Thank you for the gospel. Amen.